It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. With Rick Broering, each and every week we look at sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national sports topic or two. We have a gambling segment, and we have a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. It doesn't just have to be sports. It is hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. It is during the All-Star break where... The, the, the handful of days in sports where not much was going on, although, Rick, as you know, I'm a big golf nerd, so I've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning watching uh, the British Open. Have and, you really? Uh, I really have. I, I have. It's, it's That's no why. I, I, yeah, I I, uh, I went to sleep early last night, went to sleep at like, I don't know, 9 o'clock-ish, uh, got up, watched the fourth quarter of the NBA game, went back to sleep, got up at 4, and been watching the British Open ever since. So, But, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm sorry that I can't get into the All-Star game like I used to back in the day, and, and maybe interleagues ruined that for me. It just holds no appeal to me any longer. Did you watch? Well, so I actually went down to Dickman's and met a few guys there, a couple of our friends, um, to to watch the game and and hang out. And we mostly talked, weren't really watching the game a whole lot. Right, a little background noise, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I, I can't really get into it. I guess it was kind of cool to see Castellanos and Winker just be there. Obviously, they didn't do anything, so it wasn't like there was anything to talk about with that. So, yeah, I mean, it... You know, I'd love to sit here and talk about the All-Star game and act like there's there's something there topic-wise, but really I just couldn't even fake it if we're being honest. Well, and then I'll be and then, you know, thank goodness for the NBA final on, on the Wednesday. And it was so funny. I was, I'm so dense. I kept looking at the NBA final on Sunday, going, why are they waiting till Wednesday to play again? And they're in the same city. There's no trial. And then I went, Oh yeah, the All-Star game. So they they decided to, to have a standalone moment, which which was good. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the NBA final here in, in just a little bit. We got a very Reds centric podcast, though, as we're kind of at that nice lull in the in the proceedings where the mythical first half is over. The second half gets set to start on, on Friday. So we've got a whole lot of red stuff to get into. Yes. And let's be very clear. You brought up a good point there. You said mythical first half. We will put First half in air quotes, just assume we're doing that the entire podcast. I'm not going to sit here and explain it to you guys that it's not the exact first half, but I swear to God, if we get one tweet or email about how it's not actually the first half, I'm blocking that person forever. I, I know. I, I, because, because you know, there's somebody, they've already gone past 91 games. That's the midway point. Yes, we get that. We all Thanks, understand Chief. that. Thank Just you, guy. A little bit easier to shorthand this one. Hey, I went to Dixie Heights High School. It ain't the greatest, but I can do 81 <laughs> times two myself. So I, I do know what the halfway point of 162 is. You're right. <laughs> Shout out to my NKU degree. There you go. All right. All right. Let's get into some Reds talk here, Skinny. You took a look back at the Reds first half of the season with the biggest disappointment, most pleasant surprise, and best player in the starting rotation, bullpen, and among the position players, while also naming an MVP and giving a grade for David Bell. You broke it down by each of those segments of the team. Now, what I'm going to do is ask you to give me the overall answers for each of those superlatives. So biggest disappointment, most pleasant surprise, and instead of best player, because that's pretty obvious at this point, it's Nick Castellanos, I'm going to ask you for the best overall storyline for the entire team from the first half of the season. All right, the most pleasant surprise from the first half overall, I, I think I'm going to go with Jonathan India. You know, I, I I didn't expect him to do what he's done. And since going to the leadoff spot, it's really kind of helped solidify this lineup or at least give it, you know, some consistency they're 21 and 13 in the in the 34 games he's hit leadoff since moving there on June 6th he's only not played in one game he's played in literally 34 of their last 35 games 
Um, and and you look across the board, his on base percentage is four thirty. Um, you know he's getting great at bats. He's he's got gap to gap power. Look up, he's got six homers. I think he's played great at second base. Um, I, I think he's terrific at turning the double play. I'm going him because you know. When the season started, it was kind of like, all right, the kid had a hot spring. Let's throw him in there. Remember, he got off to the hot start and then really tailed off. And that was at the point of thinking, all right, now you got to move Mustakas back to second and move Suarez back to third because Suarez is struggling at shortstop. But to me, I, he's been he's been the most pleasant surprise for me by far. Well, and the most impressive part of his approach at the plate, if you will, is his eye for the strike zone, his ability to lay off bad pitches and draw walks. I saw he has the most walks in the major leagues for any rookie this year. I think that has been when you're looking for a leadoff guy, and especially when you're asking a rookie to fill that position, that's the toughest part. That's the biggest concern is that they're a little too free swinging. They don't have that strike zone recognition yet, and you're not going to get on base enough. He's been pretty solid in that regard. In fact, he's been very good in that regard for a rookie. Yeah, and you know, I think that's what we were hoping Nick Senzel would become, and he just yeah. he hasn't because of various reasons, injuries being one of them. You know, India's shown some durability too. I I don't know if you noticed, Rick. You know, he got he got nicked up in the ankle in what was it, the Kansas City series? I think. Or yeah, maybe when the, the guy slid into him. Yeah, and and yeah. I'll be honest, when you watched him run over the last few days uh, before the the break, he was noticeably hobbling, in my opinion. But he was gutting it out and playing through it, and showed some you know great durability. So I, I think the kid's just been great. Um, to, to me, he, he is my most pleasant surprise. Do you have anybody different that you can think of? Yeah, there's one guy. I'm wondering how close was Wade Miley to being the answer to that question. Yeah, that's that. I, I agree with you because if you really look at last year. Um, you know, he only made four starts. He had a couple of, you know, relief appearances, went 0-3. And you start looking up and you look at kind of his career of the last, you know, five or six years or so, and he's missed a bunch of games. And, uh, you know, he's 33 years old last year with the injury issues. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, boy, if I can get just something out of him in the short term and, and you know, hopefully somebody else can evolve into being a rotation guy, you know, maybe the hope was, hey, Michael Lorenzo will come back and fill the void when Wade Miley goes out. Uh, he's darn close. Um, he certainly was my my guy in the starting rotation, obviously. And actually, he was the best guy in the starting rotation. Yeah. Uh, Vladimir Gutierrez was my most pleasant surprise in the rotation. But, yeah, I, I think that's a good one, too, because, um, you know, he's been durable. He's, he's taken the ball every fifth day. Um, he's been extraordinarily consistent, I think, in – in 16, he's going to be 15 or 16 starts. I want to say 16 starts. I think he's, he's allowed three earned runs or less in 13 of those 16 starts. That's pretty consistent to me. So, yeah, I, I think the fact that you got him to, to take the ball every fifth day and the fact that, you know, he's arguably been your best guy in rotation. He's 7-4 and four with a 289 ERA. Um, you know, he's got a good ERA plus. It's the best among the starting group. Um, yeah, I think he's certainly he, – he's close to it, but, but I'm still sticking with Indy as my guy. I mean, think about that, though. You're saying Wade Miley has been their best pitcher, and he has been their best pitcher through the first half of the year. I think we all understand he's not their most talented guy. He no. may not have the best stuff. You're not. He's not the one you want out there in a must-win situation. You, you take Luis Castillo or Sonny Gray, obviously. But through the first half of the season, he has been their best pitcher. And for me, I think that would probably make him my most pleasant surprise because for Jonathan India, I didn't really have – much expectations. I just wasn't sure what we were getting into with the rookie who was going to be asked to carry a big load with Miley. I legitimately didn't think he was good. Like I thought no, he was it, at best a fifth guy. It's funny. You said that I was talking about a buddy of mine read the column and he was, we were talking about it over, over beers last night. And he said the same thing to me about, about Indy. He said, I just didn't have any expectations. So it wasn't like, you know, if he'd have, if he'd have fallen flat on his face, it wouldn't have phased me. And the fact that, you know, he's doing what he's doing. I just, I, I just didn't have expectation for him. Um, I guess I did because he's a first round pick that, you know, he's now in, you know, 20, 
23, 24 years old, you need this guy to be in the big leagues. And the fact that he really didn't do much in his two years in the minors. Now, for all indications, what we heard, he raked at Prasco last year when the, you know they, they had the off-site, no minor league season. He had a great spring. But, um, yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns on that. But your point's well taken. All right. What about the biggest disappointment from the first half? <laughs> I can only do one, right? See, that, that's a funny There's thing. a few. That's, that's why I did this by position because I, I felt like I had an answer to each one of the position groups I talked about. I guess I got to go a Eugenio Suarez. Um, yeah, I think it has to be. You know, it's it just the he, he the, the propensity with which he struck out, the fact he was doing it at times where he was hit in the middle of the lineup. I think he's kind of stable stabilized things a little bit here of late. Um, you know, he's hitting down in the order. He's back in a position he feels comfortable with in the field. Um, but, you know, you still look up and the guy's only batting 175. Now, he is on pace to hit 32 homers. And, um, I, you know, I can't look at that as a negative. But, you know, if you'd have told me two years ago, I thought the guy was on the verge of being a superstar, like a regular all-star third baseman for the next three to five years. And instead, he went from 49 homers in, in, in those two years. One of those, you know, in 18, he was an all-star. In 19, he hit the 49 homers. And then the last two years, he's gone backwards in literally every slash category there is. Yes, he's still hitting homers. And yes, he's still a pretty good defensive third baseman. But um, he tops my list. And I don't even, I I guess I could say Amir Garrett's a close second, but he's actually pitched pretty well of late. If you look at his numbers and go game by game, it's just hard to take an ERA that was once nine and, and you know, whittle it down as you're getting a third of an inning here and two thirds of an inning there and an inning, inning over here. Uh, but yeah, Suarez to me, I don't, I don't even think there's a close second, to be honest with you. Luis Castillo was trending in that direction the way the year started, but he has quickly gotten back on track and is actually yeah. pitching really well over the last, what, four or five starts, maybe even more than that now. Yeah, so. yeah, I think, I think the last, really since June 5th against the Cardinals, I mean, he's been, you know, lights out 171 ERA, and um, so I think he's kind of right of the ship. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the right answer. With Suarez, it's so frustrating because – he actually recently has, has played a role with some clutch hits and he's, mm-hmm. he's had some situations where he has flat out won a game or three for the Reds in the last few weeks. But throughout the first half of the season, he has even more games where he has directly been the guy who let the team down and directly been the reason they lost games too. I mean, the, the you mentioned his defense has been pretty good since moving back to third base. He's had some really nice plays at times. But he's also had some really weird errors this year where they've been yeah, very Kansas costly. City, the Kansas City game. Yeah, they've yep. come up at bad yeah, times. So game. it's really been frustrating to watch from a fan's perspective, watching him. You know, it's one thing for him to struggle and not be the star that people thought he was going to be and, and the Reds thought he was going to be when they paid him all that money. It's another thing for him to be completely inept and not able to hit 200. Yeah, and he's got almost twice as many strikeouts as hits, and I get it; it's a different game today, but uh, that, that's still alarming. That's and and honestly, anybody that's watched the Reds this season, I mean, he's he has some just horrific at bats where uh, when he's in a in a bad funk, you could tell him a slider's coming, he'd still swing and miss at it by a foot and a half. He just he has some really really bad at bats, um, and he's a guy that you you know you got to hope. Uh, maybe he's kind of, like I said, stabilized things. Maybe that home run off Josh Hader gets him going in the right direction. Um, and the weird part is too, Rick, it's not like he tries to pull everything. I mean, the home run off Hader was to right center. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause I don't hate his approach at the plate. I just hate the fact that it feels like he just almost guesses and, 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 and takes guess swings up there. A lot of times you almost wonder if there's something wrong with his vision. 
Maybe. I mean, like, it's like he doesn't see the ball half the time when it's spinning a certain, like if there's a ball breaking towards the, the dirt, he has no chance. He can't lay off of it. No. And he swings over top of it constantly. I, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think every Reds fan wants Suarez to be good, if nothing else, just for the team, but also because he's easy to root for. He seems like a good guy. He seems fun-loving. I think he's doing everything he can. But the weird thing about it is it's not just like he has struggled. He has been so bad that you. it almost encouraged me that there is something going on, like some, something happened mentally, he's in his own head, or there's some type of tweak or adjustment that needs to be made to his approach because – he has fallen off the map so hard and never recovered to normalcy or respectability at all. That almost makes you believe that there is something that can still be fixed there because he was so damn good at one point for a couple of years. And now he's been so, so inept for a season and a half now. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. It's been for for a, for a chunk of games. I mean, if you really want to look at it, it's really been for, if you want to take the 60 games last year and the 90 this year, he's literally played a full season. He's batting under 200. So that's that, 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 that you can't just point to like he, he got hot towards the end of last year and had a good month. No, that's a that's almost a full season's worth of, of games that, that show um, a, a steep decline other than him hitting home runs. Yep. All right. Give me your best storyline from the first half of the season. I guess it was the the flaming train wreck at times that was the bullpen and then the times that they were really good. The bullpen was the big storyline because you still you still don't know what you're going to get. And you look out there and you go, Oh my gosh, it's Osage closing, closing the game. Well, to his credit, he got it done. It was, it was, uh, you know, Warren, Art Warren coming in and doing some good things, but then it was Amir Garrett blowing games and other guy, Brad, I mean, it's just been such a train wreck um, other than TJ Antone for the most part. And, and, you know, Warren and Osage were really good here down the stretch. Um, but yeah, to me, the bullpen is the storyline because that's the main part that's going to have to get fixed. I think if this team's going to, going to make a, a run at the division title, how can it not be? No, I mean, that's definitely the biggest storyline from the first half of the season. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And it's going to continue to be. It's not going away anytime soon. It's what will tell the story of this 2021 Reds team. And unfortunately for Reds fans, the way it's currently constructed, that that story ain't going to be very good, I don't think. Yeah, I, 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 I guess there's the thought process of what happens when Lucas Sims and TJ Antone and Michael Lorenzen get healthy. Um I mean, I could argue that those three guys, when healthy, would be the three best relievers they've got. And I will say, go look at Amir Garrett, his last, uh, you know, 15, 16 outings. He's actually been pretty good. Um, you know, he did give up the seeing eye single. Uh, was not his run. It was an inherited runner. Um, and he did give up a stolen base that, that led to that. But for the most part, he's actually kind of righted the ship a little bit. So you get me some of those guys back and, and, and him throwing the way he's capable – I do think you still got to make a deal for a bullpen arm, but I, I will feel a lot better about the bullpen if that's the case, but there's some ifs in there. I mean, there's some ifs with guys coming back from arm issues. There's also the if of, you know, with TJ Antone, was it, was it spin rate sticky stuff? And without it, you know, he had to put more torque on his arm and that's why he got hurt. I mean, it's worth asking. That's the other thing that the Reds have been so good in late game situations on offense. You know, after we talked about after the seventh inning, they've scored more runs than uh, any team in the national league. And I think that could go hand in hand going forward with other bullpens, maybe not being as strong as they were in the first half. Now that the sticky stuff has gone by the yeah. wayside, because all yeah, of a sudden maybe. you saw the Brewers. Now that could just be a fluke. There's a couple games. They gave up some runs in late game situations, but that was a dominant, dominant bullpen in the first half of the season for the most part. And all of a sudden you get close to the all-star break. They're giving up some late game runs. I mean, that, 
I think it could play in the Reds' favor if nothing else, if other bullpens come back down to earth a little bit. It helps the Reds' issues because their weakness isn't so glaring. They're not at such a disadvantage if other bullpens are, are giving it up too. But your point about the guys coming back from injury is a good one. It's easy to forget how many arms have been injured for this Reds team. I mean, you just named them all off the top of your head. That's three of the, the top four or five guys that we were expecting coming into the season for the bullpen, if we're being yeah, realistic. That, no, I, I mean, honestly, I, I can tell you right now, if those three guys came back healthy, I can argue that those three are your three best relievers. Yeah. No, that's really true. And it, that kind of goes into the rest of the Reds conversation that we wanted to have. You're working on a, another column that'll be posted on local12.com. And one of the topics that you're writing about in there is what David Bell will do when not just those bullpen guys return from injury, but what about Mike Moustakis and Nick Senzel? What's that mean for this lineup and this team in general? Yeah, I, I think he's got a chance to do a lot of mix and matching. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I take Indy out. So that means where do you play Moustakas? Do you play him at third base if Suarez struggles? If Suarez doesn't struggle, do you put Moustakas at third base and move Suarez back to shortstop and try that experiment again? Um, does it give you the freedom to then maybe deal somebody? Uh, you know, the, the Senzel platoon with Tyler Naquin, who kind of came back down to earth. Does Aristides Aquino platoon with Jesse Winker, who started to not hit left-handers at all? I mean, he was really bad against lefties over the last, you know, few weeks i mean just brutal josh hater made him look terrible now josh hater makes a lot of guys look terrible but he just struggled big time against lefties i think it gives him a lot of options but um you know some of it is suarez kind of getting a little bit back on track was the fact that you had to play him every day and it gave him the chance to do that do you have a shorter leash with guys um i, I there's a lot of things there's a lot of things involved with, with all this and, and yeah i know it always works itself out but does it i mean will it how much of an impact do you think Nick Senzel can have? And do you think he is someone that the that David Bell and his coaching staff are focused on right now? Do you think they're worried about working him back in the lineup? Do you, I, do you think I don't. he's a piece they think they need? Or is this guy that's kind of like, hey, uh, if the situation arises, we'll use you. But right now we're we're chasing a pennant. Well, I mean, I think if he comes back, obviously, you know, you, you hope he's healthy. I, I think at that point, you really got a shot to platoon him in Naquin um, in center field. I, I would have no problem with that. Um, you know, Naquin kind of fell back to earth. He's, you know, down to 242. His OPS was above 800 for a while. It's now sitting around, I believe, 750. So he's kind of fallen back down. Um, so I think there's some answers there that, that have to be done. I, the Moustakas one to me is the most interesting because I'm not taking Indy out, uh, you know. So at that point, so then that leaves Moustakas to play either third or first. Well, I'd like to see Tyler Stevenson get some more bats at first base, especially against lefties, because Joey Votto was terrible against lefties in the in the first half of the year. You know, it, it, I think he's hit 189 and had a 268 on base percentage. And Tyler Stevenson's rake. I want Tyler Stevenson to get some more at bats. So yeah, I think there's a lot of things David Bell's got to do here in the last couple of months to juggle the lineup around. It's not an awful thing to, to have these guys back, but it, it does create a got to do a lot of mixing and matching, and it gives you a chance to do that. You mentioned Tyler Stevenson getting him more at bats. That's something that's been brought up to me on Twitter a few times when I've just been tweeting about games. And it seems like something that a lot of people want to see because Tyler Stevenson has been pretty damn good at the plate overall. The, the way he approaches it, the way he handles himself, the way he hits to all fields, he seems to be clutch. He comes up with these big hits. A lot of people are wanting to see what he can do with more at bats and more regular playing time aside from moving him into first base and playing him ahead of Joey Votto against lefties, what other options are there to get him on the field more? 
Yeah, the only other thing is is you know platooning with Barnhart, and they've kind of done that already. So. Um, it's you just know, I, that situation I, I, where I, I your want... best two players are your left and right fielder, and that's kind of one of the two spots you would normally put an extra catcher like that, right? Well, and, that, and, and that's what and that and that's what I wonder. I mean, if 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 Winker continues to struggle as badly as he is against lefties, and he's primarily in his career struggled against lefties, um, I might have to get Tyler Stevenson some fly balls in left field and see if he can play there on on, on some days. And suddenly, as I mentioned, then you got him playing left. You've got either Aquino or or Senzel playing center, and you can really do a bunch of mixing and matching. Or, you know, you get Stevenson, again, he takes some more of Joey Votto's at-bats at first base, especially against lefties. Um, that then leaves, so what do you do at catcher? Because you got a left-handed hitting catcher in, in, in Tucker Barnhart. Well, I mean, I got him in there for defense anyway, for the most part. What I get at the plates, more gravy than anything else. But I can I, 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 I tell you, I got to find Tyler Stevenson some more at-bats. I think David Bell did a pretty good job. Um, getting him a good chunk. He had 226 plate appearances. I think he was in 72 of the 90 games. Um, you know, days he doesn't, doesn't play. He can be your first pinch hitter because you do have Kyle farmer that can be the emergency catcher if, if need be. So that gives you a little bit of a, a, a way to use Tyler Stevenson, but I'm not sure I don't get him into games earlier and more and get him, get him more at bats. He just, he gives you good at bats. He's got some pop. Um, it feels like he just, he's got great, great approaches at the plate to me. I, I need to get him up, up at the plate far more often. You know, low key, when we were talking about most pleasant surprises, I don't know that I would say either one of them specifically, but the catcher position as a whole has yeah. been very good for the Reds this year and better than I expected. Certainly Barnhart at the plate has made a huge improvement. No, I would have told you after last year that I would have loved to have seen Tyler Stevenson become the regular catcher and Tucker Barnhart get, gets, you know, two days a week. But to his credit, he changed his approach at the plate. Obviously, his defense has spoken for itself with the gold gloves. Um, and he's kind of warned the, the, the fact. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm trying to find at-bats for Tyler Stevenson um, without at the expense of, of Tucker Barnhart. And maybe, again, it's at the expense of Joey Votto at first base against lefties. More and more, not... You know, maybe you give Joey a start here or there. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just say, you know what? It's your age, and the fact the numbers speak for themselves, Chief. I, 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 I'm not trying to embarrass you, but bottom line is this guy hits lefties, you don't, and that's why I'm going to play him. Yeah, I think there needs to be some consideration at this point to start at least spot starting him over Votto against certain pitchers. I, I, I don't think you take away Joey's starting spot regularly, but it needs to be considered a little more often. Everyone loves Joey Votto. I think he means a ton to this team right now. The guy's who are younger than him seem to really look up to him and enjoy playing with him. He seems like he's having a ton of fun right now and is a great teammate. So I think there's a lot of value in having him out there every day, but we've also hit a certain point where we've got to quit caring about his feelings so much. I, I think there Agreed. needs to be a little bit more thought to put into, all right, you might have a stud in Tyler Stevenson and you know, Vado is what he is at this point. And you can clearly and Rick, look at we, the stats and see what he is against lefties. Right. Rick, if we're going to value analytics, and, and the Reds obviously do, and wisely so. I don't even need analytics to look at splits and go, guy isn't hitting lefties anymore. <laughs> this guy is. It's pretty simple. I don't need advanced metrics for that. Yeah, I, I don't. And they're all over the lefty-righty thing when it comes to pinch hitting and late games, so stuff like that. It's like, all right, well, let's get out ahead of this a little bit more. If Vado is going to continue to struggle this much against left-handed pitching at this age and with it, you know, it's one thing when the guy's still scary. Like Suarez even as bad as he is, can still hit the ball out of the park on any given pitch. Vado doesn't have that anymore. You know, there's not that fear of Vado's at the plate. You got to be scared just because it's Joey Vado. So I, the Reds need to start thinking about that more often. And again, it's not bench Joey Vado. He stinks. He's actually no. had a pretty solid year. I, I really think 
I want him in the lineup every day against right. Yeah. I want him in the lineup every day against righties. I'm fine with that. Exactly. You just can't be worried about hurting his feelings at this point of his career. I don't think agreed within reason, obviously Uh, real quick. You talked about shortstop a little bit. Is there, is there a best solution in your mind to, to how to handle the shortstop position going forward? Barring a trade. I mean, do you roll the dice and bring up, the former Jose Garcia Barrero, whatever his, his last name is now. And, and um, you know, he, he had a home run in the futures game. He's been raking in double a, um, do you just keep him there and maybe get him to triple a for a bit and, and have him up next year? And he rolled the dice there. Uh, I'll give Kyle farmer this. He, he doesn't hit much, but it feels like he gets big hits uh, when he does get hits. He's big. He, he's a solid shortstop. He makes every routine play known to mankind, but I just don't see two months worth of Kyle farmer, helping this team as opposed to finding another solution. I mean, do you trade for Trevor story? And um, you know, his past suggests he's, he's a really good player. His present doesn't suggest much. He hasn't had a very good year. He hasn't had a very good year outside of Coors. Um, you know, I, I everybody has been clamoring, go trade for a shortstop. Well, that sounds great, but who, who are you trading for? Um, is it really that much of an upgrade if you do? So I, I, that's a, that's a tough one for me. Cause I, do you roll the dice with Mustakas back and, Put Suarez back at short and see if it works a second time, or if you are, is that ship already sailed in your opinion? I almost think I would look back at that again because here's the thing: Suarez is already screwed up, and it's right. he's not hitting well. Right, he's making errors at either position, so it's not. I mean, like, yes, he's not good at shortstop. He's he's a much better third baseman, but you can live with it. You know, I mean, like it. It's frustrating, but he's making frustrating errors at third some too. So, I think I would. Ve- definitely consider at least getting your scariest bats in the lineup all at once. And that means Suarez and Moustakis at the same time, I I would find a way to give that more chances to work. Yeah. I mean, barring a trade. And I guess, I mean, I I don't think it trades off the table, but Rick, I just don't see one taking place. Well, real quick, before we get into that, let me ask you one more question about this team in general and Luis Castillo, who we talked about some, he started off really, week he finished pretty strong do you think the reds get the least castillo the last six weeks or the first two months of the season going forward and that's a great question um that's one of the questions i'm asking um i'm 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 leaning towards the guy of the last you know six weeks um because it's been a consistent stretch it wasn't like a good start here and then a bad start and then two more good starts and a bad start um he's thrown together a bunch of good starts right now he walked you know a handful too many against milwaukee but he also limited the damage too. He got pitched out of some jams, um, you know, didn't give up hardly any hits. He did have, again, some control issues, but it feels like he's kind of got his stuff back together. Um, I guess the fear is, you know, you're, you, you've got the lull here, although he really isn't going to miss, you know, much from a timing perspective of, of things. I, I, I do. I, I think you're going to get the guy the last few weeks because I've seen that guy before. I've, I've seen that guy be dominant before. So I, I think I'm going to lean towards that. And, and if the Reds are going to win, they better hope it's the guy the last six weeks and not the first 10. Yeah, that's their, that's their only chance. I mean, they need him and Sonny Gray to be really good. One thing that excites me about Luis Castillo is you talk about the sticky stuff. He's always been a guy who has not been about the spin rate. I, you know, I have no idea if he was using the sticky stuff or not, but that has not been his MO as having a real high right. spin rate and relying on that type of movement in, in his pitching. So he's a little more straightforward, uh, the fastball that tops out at 96 to 98 and a great changeup. So I think he is a little more uh, immune to the changing tack rules uh, than some of these other guys. Yeah, I agree. I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So yeah, I'm going to lean towards the guy in the last six weeks. 
the Reds will get things back underway Friday night when they take on the Brewers at home to start a three-game series. Cincinnati is four games back of Milwaukee in first place. We talked about the significance of these games and what it means to the Red season overall. I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out, though. What happens if the Reds sweep the Brewers? What happens if they, you know, say go two and one and then they lose the next game, Brewers win the next game, and it's basically a wash? And what happens if they get swept? Do you think that changes the Reds' plans at all here in terms of how aggressive they are in in the trade market or, or trying to add somebody? Yeah, I think if they got swept, that puts you back to seven out, and it takes all that momentum away that you had at the end of the first half. And at that point, let's see, Sunday will be the 18th. You'll be almost almost two weeks shy of the trade deadline. Uh, things would have to change drastically then for, for the Reds and the Brewers in a negative way over those two weeks to, to, to start to make up ground again. Yeah, if you chop a game off, I think obviously you're, you're part of that, that trade group. Um, yeah, I, I think it would have to be something drastic of getting swept that would take them out of that market. Let me ask you this, and, and we'll talk some trades maybe in a week or two, but I am going to bring this up now because we're kind of on that topic. If we get all these guys back and you can get a shortstop and maybe a, a, a relief arm, a quality relief arm, and it would cost you, I'm going to say it, Nick Castellanos, would you do it? Well, here's the thing. I guess what's the end game there? Because this team isn't going anywhere without Nick Castellanos this year. Maybe, but if I get all these guys back and I feel like, listen, I've got enough offense I need to now improve uh, the position, uh, you know, the shortstop position and the bullpen. And that'll be enough, especially again, I'm getting, again, I'm just surmising because here's the thing. We still can't lose sight of the fact of Nick Castellanos will opt out after this season and you may not get him anyway. So don't you want to get something for him regardless? Um, I'm caught in a very tough spot. Yeah. I'm I'm caught in a very tough spot with that because I'm with you. If Nick Castellanos keeps raking like he did in the first half, he's obviously he's been a key part of what you've done. Hell, he single-handedly won some games for you. Yeah, you, you have that. Here's the other thing that I think you have to be at least somewhat cognizant of because the reason you're making a move right now, with, with let's face it, the ownership group, the front office, they do not believe in this team. They showed that well before the season started. They do not think this is a team that has a chance to win. They didn't invest in it at all they basically treated this as like a throwaway season. Like this was just go a little bit more time to get Lodolo and Hunter green on track, see where they're at, figure some roster moves out. This was not a season that they expected to contend in based on their actions. So, I mean, I, I think you have to take that into account when you're, you're looking at what their plans are and what they're looking to do. The, the whole thing about this is the fans love Nick Castellanos. So you're, you're looking to make this move potentially for the fans in a lot of ways, because again, it's a team that you didn't think was going to contend. And now you're in this position where, gosh, there's a lot of heat coming from the fans. They're starting to fill the ballpark. We've got a chance all of a sudden at this thing. If we don't make a move, we're going to lose the fans. We're going to look bad. Well, if you do make a move and the only move is to move the player that everyone's coming to see the heart and soul of your team right now, the guy that is, I mean, has there been a more perfect fit for the city of Cincinnati in professional sports in the last decade. I mean, Castellanos <laughs> is Cincinnati, but I think Joe Burrow would be the perfect fit anywhere, right? Like that's not a, he's, he's the number one overall type guy. I don't think that he's like specifically Cincinnati. Nick Castellanos has that 
second coming of Pete Rose attitude to him, right? Like he's got all the blue collar stuff, the yelling in the Cardinals faces. He's the type of guy that this since this city loves. But, but I sometimes you got some sell to get rid of him right now. I, I, I'm noting you, but I, I, I just don't see him resigning here. I know he likes it here. I just don't think the Reds can afford that. And, and well, they, they won't try to afford that. So it, that's where you're caught in the quandary. It's tough. You have to make tough decisions sometimes. If you think this is going to make your club better in the short term and getting something in the long run, then I think you got to do it. Well, th- th- that's the question. Because, because, because it I'll be honest, better they, in the short term. Well, right, so if this it does both, then I think you're right. You do have to do it. But if you're basically punning on the rest of the season by getting rid of Castellanos to get another arm who may help you the next two years, say, then that's going to be a really tough sell. I think. All right. So, so let me ask you this too, though. Um, I, I was one that thought Nick Castellanos would have a bounce back year, not to this level by any stretch. So I'm not going to tell you I'm a freaking genius, but if you look back at some of his numbers, he was certainly better than a low 200 hitter. I mean, the guy is a, right. he's a gap to gap hitter for the most part who, who should treat it as such. And, and he's got enough strength and power to get enough balls out, which he did. But do you honestly believe you're going to get the same production that you got out of Nick Castellanos over the last two months that you got in the first four, because they've been off the charts and they've been career bests. No, I mean, that's a very fair point. And that's where I go back to. Sometimes you, you got to make that tough decision, knowing what the future may, may be. I'm not saying you're wrong. And that may be the, the smartest thing to do overall. It's, it's, the, it's good. It's a tough sell. I'm with you on. It's a tough sell. Yeah, I, I get that. I just don't know it. Again, I mean, if you're still in position, you know, they don't get swept here. Let's say they go two and one and they're three games out after this series. They're perfect spot. They're they're great. They're in a great shape because Milwaukee schedule upcoming is a is brutal. Right. But if you deal Nick Castellanos the week after that, I'm skinny. How's you know what I mean? How's that going to go with the fans around here? I just and I'm not just I'm and I'm not dealing him for prospects, mind you. I'm dealing for a guy that's going to help if I can. This is a big I'm playing a big if in game here. But I'm going to, I'm getting bullpen help, which we desperately need. I'm going to get a starting shortstop, which we desperately need. Again, I'm playing a huge if in game. I realize that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not telling you I'm giving away Nick Cassianos. And honestly, maybe the whole move is going to be just stand pat and be done with it and hope that the three relievers coming back. That, that's your bullpen help right there. That's my guess. My guess is that's what ends up happening is there's really not many moves to be made at this point. I mean, maybe you can go get another slightly better than scrap heap arm here for. Right. A lower level prospect. And and I think that might be about as well as the Reds could do in this situation. Now, what you're saying about Castellanos is valid. You have to consider reasonable offers that could make you a better team, whether it's this year or going forward for a guy that you may not be able to retain regardless at the end of the season. I, it has to be considered at the very minimum. But again, I think there's a little bit more at work here coming off the COVID season being as worried about money and getting that the, the ticket money as the Reds clearly are. Understand. I think you have to take some other things into consideration here when it comes to Castellanos in the second half. No, I, the, the, honestly, the safe thing to do is just simply stand pat. Right. And, and that's probably what they'll end up doing, if I had to guess. Yeah, that'd be disappointing, but I get it. Yep. All right. Anything else here to wrap up? Reds talk before we... Well, I, well, I guess I'll, I'll ask you this. Where, where they are right now... Do you believe this team wins a division? I don't. I do. Really? Without making moves, I do. 
I, I go back to the one guy being Luis Castillo. If he had just pitched mediocre the first two months, you don't think they would have won two more games and and and, and maybe three. And, and if that's the case, then you're, you're looking at a team that's only a game back at this point. And don't don't lose sight of the fact the Brewers June was extraordinarily easy. And they, to their credit, they did what you should do against bad teams. They beat up on them. And if their bullpen starts to struggle like it is, um, listen, I, I love their pitching staff, top to bottom, but that's a terrible lineup. So if their bullpen starts to struggle, if they get any of their big guys, major guys in rotation nicked up or missing starts and injured, I just don't see them being good enough to beat the Reds. I just don't. Well, and that's that's one of you know, here's the thing. They don't need to beat the Reds head to head, though. I think the Reds are a better team when they play each other. I'm worried about the Reds being consistent enough with this. That's and that's fair. Look, if, if everything falls into place and the bullpen arms return and they're great and the starting pitching keeps going at the rate it's been over the last few weeks and the offense continues to hit the way it did in the first half, save for a guy like Suarez, then, yeah, I mean, you could see it happening. But there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts, and a lot of hoping going on there. The Brewers have been that team to this point. They have a much deeper pitching staff overall, both starters and bullpen. I feel more confident that they're going to figure it out. But I will say, the way this season has gone, it's been more a, a year of survival than it has been the best team. I mean, we've seen almost everyone get nicked up, including the Reds, and it have a major impact on their results. So... Looking towards the second half of the season, it's going to have a lot to do with how healthy are the Reds, are the Brewers, even the Cubs. Do they get healthy and, and catch fire late here? Although they're starting to play them their way out of it right before the All-Star break. But I think that a lot of it has to do with who is going to be the most healthy team in the second half of the year. And coming off of the weird COVID year where arms were not stretched out properly and, and guys didn't play nearly as many games, you have to think that's going to play a big impact on the second half. Yeah, but I'm I'm getting Sonny Gray back. Um, suddenly my my rotation, and again this is still a big if, and because Sonny's been on the deal a couple of times, and God love Wade Miley. I mean, do I expect him to to, to not miss a start in the, in the in the second half? Right. Um, do we expect him to be nearly as good as he correct. was in the first half? Correct. I mean, I... But 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 I'm I'm getting I'm getting at least my second best pitcher on paper back. Maybe not even my best back. If I get my three bullpen arms back here soon, I get a thirty home run bat back in Mustakas. I'm adding some pieces that. You're winning without right now. Well, look, I love the way you're thinking. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I, I, can, I can see the logic there. I just, uh, I've been a Cincinnati sports fan for the last 30 plus years, and I tend to know how these things end up going for us. So I'm no, I'm no, I'm going to stay on the pessimistic side of this uh, because I feel like it's the safe side if I'm in Cincinnati. But your your points are fairly valid here. I will say, I mean, this is the, the games leading up to the all-star break. It was a fun four game stretch of baseball. I was watching other games to, to see what was going on around the national league. And then you come into this week, the next three games. I mean, Saturday, we're going to have the reds and the NBA finals going on at the same time on Saturday night. That's a pretty strong sports day in Cincinnati for the middle of July. Yeah, no, no doubt. But lastly, and I, and I guess we didn't get to this part of it, but um, I, I gave David Bell a grade of D plus for the first half. Agree or disagree? Too high, too low, or just about right? No, I think uh, B plus A minus is exactly where I'd be. I, he's not perfect. We certainly have our complaints. The way he handles the bullpen and the is weird righty lefty thing with with hitters and and pinch hitting. 
can drive me crazy a little bit. But for the most part, in terms of how he's handled this year, I mean, look at all the injuries he had. to No deal. doubt. No look question. The bullpen struggles that they've had to keep trying guys and, and maneuvering. And he's done pretty well. I mean, to have the Reds in this position, despite the team he was given before the year, what he's had to deal with in terms of injuries and guys like Suarez struggling. He's done a pretty good job to have the Reds at this point. And I do think to, a, to an extent he's really pushed some of the right buttons. I mean, he's, he has done a good job handling certain guys, especially like Stevenson and Barnhart. I mean, who would have thought those two would have the year that they're having? No, I, I think he's, uh, you know, I don't think he's got much personality. It, it, it confuses me sometimes how he uses the bullpen, but um, to be frank, uh, you know, when, I didn't know who Art Warren was before the year started. I didn't even know right. who Osich and Brad Brock were. And suddenly he has to call on them in clutch situations. Um, yeah, I, he, I think he's done a really good job. I, I'll give him credit for that. And that's, you know, the, yeah, B plus, A minus. I gave him a B plus. It's, it's probably in that same ballpark. Let's go into our betting segment here because we're, we're going to talk about the NBA, but I want to talk about these bets that are related to the Reds here in the second half. An online sports book has updated the odds for the Reds to win the National League Central Division, the NL Championship, and World Series, for Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson to win Rookie of the Year, and for Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker to win NL Most Valuable Player. It looks like this, Skinny. The Reds are 6-1 to one to win the NL Central right now, which is second, obviously, behind Milwaukee. Milwaukee's odds are awful. They're one to six and a half, meaning yeah, which means you got to bet 65 bucks <laughs> to win $10. Right, right. So uh, no value there. The Reds at six to one to win the division. I, I mean, like you that just, value. I was going to say, you just said you think they have a very good chance to win this division and you get them at six to one. I got to imagine you're going to think about yeah, fi- that. Yeah, 50 to win 300. I think I'm down with that. Yeah, that's not a bad little player for the second uh-uh. half. Could you? Uh-uh. Something to fun. And there's enough value. I'm not a big futures guy, especially when it comes to like win totals, but something like this where you can get six to one odds, that's enough payoff that it's worth tying that money up for the last few months and, here of the season. And, and I'll be honest, I think it's just a two team race. It's them and the Brewers. It does feel that way. I mean, I won't rule out, you know, maybe the Cubs here in the second half, but it feels like it's pretty much down to the Reds of the Brewers at this point. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get six to one on that. I, I Giddy, I, I, I think that's the, I think there's great value there. The Reds are 28 to one to win the National League Championship, which is eighth lowest odds. The Dodgers are a 1.9 to one favorite, to almost two to one here to win the National League. Um, any any value on the Reds at 28 to one? I uh, listen. While I think they're going to win the Central, I'd have a hard, I'd be hard pressed to, to think that they can 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 beat either one of those teams in the West. I think that the, the, the champion of the NL is going to be San Diego or LA. And I don't even think it's going to be close. Yeah. I think that's right. I'm and I know the, and, the, and the giants are leading. So, I mean, that, that's the funny part. They're leading the division, which I think the two best teams are currently in second and third. Right. The Dodgers are an interesting case because everyone feels like they're so dominant and with good reason, but they've had a, uh, a tough go here of the, the last few weeks in terms of Bauer and some injuries. I, I You have to wonder if things are going to catch up to them a little bit. Of course, there is the chance that they just go and buy more players here before the trade deadline right. too. Right. So um, the Reds are 50 to one to win the world series. I don't think we really need to say anything about that, but it's no, there. I think I'm going to pass. Uh, Castellanos is tied for the third lowest odds to win NL MVP at 20 to one. 
The favorites are Jacob DeGrom at even money and Fernando Tatis at 1.1 to 1. I, I like the value on Castellanos, and I'll tell you why. You know, DeGrom has had a few injury issues through that first half, which, you know, maybe he gets derailed by that in the second half. Um, and Tatis um, plays so darn hard that he gets himself hurt, too. If, if both those guys were to get hurt, the next guy on the list is Nick Castellanos at this point. At 20 to 1, that's worth a 20 spot, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're... There is so there's such a drop off there to Castellanos there at 20 to one right, compared to right. his first two guys. I mean, he has no chance if the, those other two guys are healthy and doing what they Absolutely. do. Absolutely. But I mean, Tatis has got a chance to, to just be off the charts playing the most important defensive position and being such a great offensive weapon on a team that might be the best in the National League. So, yes. Uh, no, and that's the thing. But I, I also have seen him play himself into getting hurt. And Jacob DeGrom has dealt a couple of times with some issues. Um I think if I made that bet, it would be more in the eyes of, of kind of, I don't want to hope injury on anybody, but kind of expecting that and the values there. Cause you're right. He's, he's the next guy on the list. Yeah. I mean, really what you're doing there is 21 odds that DeGrom and Tatis get injured. It's more of like a, a parlay right. bet at this point. No, you're trying right. to get that's DeGrom right. and Tatis both injured. I mean, you don't want that to happen, no, but if right. you're betting I, I this, but... that's what you're betting on. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Winker is 50 to one, which is tied for six lowest odds. I mean, there's just no chance it gets down to Winker. So no, uh, there's no. really no point in talking about that. No, uh, w- w- yeah. Winker had that great start and he kind of leveled off a little bit teams look like they started to find a way to pitch him and as i mentioned he just really struggles against lefties i just don't think he's going to put up those huge numbers i do think he's a key key member of the lineup and is going to continue to be but not enough to be mvp so yeah i'm going to pass on that bet yeah he really struggled after he was named to the all-star team Uh you you hope he could just kind of maybe get a refresh here in the second half now that that's out of the way and hopefully out of his head India is seven and a half to one odds to win the National League Rookie of the Year. That's tied for the fifth lowest odds. Trevor Rogers is currently the favorite at one point seven five to one odds. Yeah, I don't see value there. I just it's not India's, enough. India's no, it's not enough. I, although I, I mean, the guy's having a great year, and in, in a lot of years, he would probably be a, a favorite to win the MVP. But I just uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on the value. I I think he's gonna continue to be consistent though, Rick. I. You know, I, I think he's they, they found a nice niche for him at the top of the lineup. I think it's probably been a little bit of an ego boost for him, and he's taken it and run with it. And um, I think they've maybe found their leadoff hitter for a long time to come. The great thing about him is hopefully he's just scratching the surface. Like, hopefully there's a lot more to come, and this guy can get even better. Yeah, I think I think he's got 15 home run potential. I mean, if you look at it, he hit 21 his last year at Florida, and I do realize aluminum bats and all that, but um, I think he's got 15 home run potential he does seem to have some pop in the bat and, and, you know, at times maybe it's warning track power or, or just shy of that in the gap, which works too as a leadoff guy. But I think you're right, especially playing in this ballpark, he starts to hit a few more of those out and uh, his value over the next two to three years could be real interesting. See what happens. Yep. Let's switch gears here and we'll stay on the the betting segment because I want to bring up the NBA playoffs from this perspective. The Bucks just tied the series up two to two in Wednesday night's game four in Milwaukee. We'll head back to Phoenix for game five on Saturday night. Skinny, the MVP, it looked like it was going to be Chris Paul's after the first game, especially and really first two games in Phoenix, assuming the Suns won. Now that it's evened up, the Bucks have solidified themselves. I think people were wondering, are they, are they going to get 
rolled in this series. Now it looks very much like a series. Giannis is now the favorite to win MVP. Here are the odds here for the top three guys. And there's really only three options. It's Giannis, it's Chris Paul, or it's Devin Booker. Giannis is plus 130. Chris Paul is plus 175. And Devin Booker is now plus 260, which is actually slightly better odds, higher odds, than it was to start the series when he was plus 250. I mean, I don't see a lot of value there for Giannis or Chris Paul, but Devin Booker at plus 260? I mean, to me, that's the best player on the best team still, and Chris Paul totally fell off the map and cost them game four. He absolutely cost them game four. It, it's he was the kind off. of thing that makes you it makes you go, this is why this guy's never won a championship. I mean, yeah. right or wrong, and it's, it's hard to... I mean, to, completely to, choked. He, he didn't have to be absolutely. good and score a ton. He just no. had to get out of his own way, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, don't turn the ball over in a key, key time or two. Um, yeah, and it, it does. It makes you wonder, is this why this guy just can't find a way to win a championship? Uh, and they still... I still think... They're, they're, I don't think... The funny part is, I don't think anybody's going to win a road game in this series. So, hence, that makes Phoenix the champion. Agreed. So, then, if that's the case, I still think, by default, for meritorious service, Chris Paul will be selected MVP. I just do. I tell you what, though. Booker just put up forty another 40 I, I, ball last night. I know it. And I, 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 I get it. It was in a loss, I, but. I just don't like the value on any of that stuff. Because I don't think Milwaukee wins the series. If they do, it's got to be Giannis. Right. So right. which maybe him at 130 isn't terrible. I mean, if, if you really like the Bucks, getting plus odds on Giannis would feel great because I, it, there's no other option there. I mean, you 100 percent right. win with Giannis if the Bucks win. So getting him at plus odds isn't doesn't feel bad to me. Chris Paul now at plus 175. To me, there's no I don't know why you would even consider that. That doesn't make any sense. at well, all. Well, because I just go back to it, it is it's going to be if they win it, it, it's it's still his title, right or wrong, whether Devin Booker outplays him or not. It's still his title. I think that's right. But at plus 175, it doesn't make any sense to bet it now. There's just not enough value. Um, I think Booker, I, I had him at plus 250 before the series started. I would be interested now at plus 260 again, because again, if he just put up 40, if he goes for 35 and Chris Paul has like 12 points in this next game and the Suns win, I I think the, the pendulum swings over to the Devin Booker side here in terms of the MVP conversation. So Uh, maybe I, I can't argue that he's not been the best player and probably in in the values there a little bit. I, but I, I just think Chris Paul would get the MVP. And it might, man, he was just so bad in the fourth quarter. It was, I mean, he was bad the whole game and he couldn't make shots, which is one thing, but the turnovers, which isn't something he normally struggles with, were just bizarre. I mean, he just could not get anything done in important moments in that game last night. And he really, you know, you always say, oh, it's never just one guy or whatever, but Chris Paul is the reason they lost that game. They were good enough everywhere else for the most part. And when you're relying on one of your better players to be your starting point guard, and he just goes into a hole like that as a shell of himself, you're not going to win in the NBA finals. And I made fun of Pat Connaughton last week. And what does he do? He he sticks it in my ear. Yeah. He had a couple (laughs) big ones. Yes, he did. It's so there's been a lot of conversation about this series in general, just from a standpoint of it's not your typical stars. It didn't have the big storylines coming in. There's no LeBron, no KD, no Steph Curry. Where are you at on this series? Has it captivated you? I mean, it's been pretty good basketball. It's pretty competitive at this point. Is it, do you feel like it's missing juice because of the two teams that are involved? No, TV ratings have been up for it. Uh, They're they're not up from 19, but they are up from the, from the bubble, which is kind of interesting because you would have thought the bubble would have killed it. Everyone was at home. 
Yeah, we're yeah. trying to, we're, and we're dying to watch some sports. I, I do think at times, though, right or wrong, you get star fatigue. I mean, I am so Tom Brady'd out in the NFL, I could almost vomit. Um, you know, I know everybody says you got to have those teams because they they provide the vil- villain. Um, you know, th- there's there's so many LeBron fans, and then there's so many anti-LeBron people that you're going to yeah. watch LeBron either way, in theory. But I, I do, I like the new blood. I think it's I. I it's just, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's good for the league. I, I think a lot of times these super teams get tiresome. Um, you got to have great players. Don't get me wrong, but these kind of made to fit super teams. Well, neither one of these are really made to fit super teams. Yeah. Chris Paul was signed as a free agent, but it was a great landing spot. They needed a point guard. There he is. Voila. Perfect timing. I mean, over here, this was a team that finished last in their division two years ago with DeAndre Ayton and with Devin Booker. Yeah. And Chris Paul was not at all looked at as a, a super ad right, in this stage right, of his career. I right, mean, right. look at what happened when he, they tried to do that with him at the Rockets. You know, right. he completely flopped and it looked like he was on the back end of his career here. So he has certainly uh, sort of revived his career a little bit. He was, he's had a really good year and he's been great in the playoffs, but yeah, that, this was not at all a super team. And that's a really good point is these teams and the way they got here should be giving hope to more teams. We were getting yes. so much into that. Either you're a super team or you're tanking feel to the NBA, which is yes. not good for the league as a whole. Terrible. And this year, these two teams both felt like, hey, there's two teams that went out and built it the right way and really turned things around pretty quickly, especially the Suns. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, and I, 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 that's why I think it's been good. Now, it's also helped that I've got a wagering interest on this series. Sure. <laughs> but that, that that never hurts. But no, I, I'm glad. I, I just I think sometimes new blood's a good thing. I, I, I don't think it's always a bad thing. I think everybody always thinks, oh, it's just two small market teams. Who's going to watch? Well, ratings are up. I do know that. I've I've enjoyed it. It's been fun basketball. I mean, I think you're hoping this goes six or seven games. Obviously, if you're the NBA, you're hoping that. But in terms of if you're just a, a fan, you you want a little more drama here, and, and for this to build, it makes it a little more interesting going into next year. Now you've got don't don't you have you have a wager on the the Suns winning this series in six, right? I do. I have them winning in four to two. So um, well, we'll see where I that mean, goes. I've got Booker as a MVP. You you can you can hedge your bet if they win Game Five. Going back to Milwaukee, make a wager on Milwaukee to hedge yourself. Yeah, I, I didn't bet enough the first time okay. to really worry okay. about hedging this. I'm going to let okay. it ride. But uh, I've I've had stuff every game. It's been really fun to bet on. I hit a a seven to one parlay on uh, a points deal that the FanDuel awesome. same game parlays that I've been doing. So <laughs> it's it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Giannis is let's let's do the corny week. A tired basketball conversation. Where do where do you have Giannis in your pantheon of current NBA players? Oh, he's easily top two or three. I mean, I mean, easily. I go I go KD, LeBron, and then for me it's tough. Do I go Giannis or Steph Curry? I think I'd m- probably lean Steph Curry and go Giannis four. But man, he's he's no making it tough. Not no not Luka. in the top five. No Luca. Luca would be in my top five. He would be after those guys. I mean, Giannis is a great defensive player, and when he feels like getting downhill and going to the rim, you just you can wall up all you want. That sounds great in theory, and yeah, you can get into the foul line some because of that. But he's getting to the rim when he feels like it. Yeah, well, and the block that everyone is talking about from Game Four, where there was a, a lob attempt from Devin Booker to DeAndre Ayton, it was on the high side of the backboard, the back corner of the backboard. And Aiton actually almost made a hell of a play to even go up, get yep. it, and dunk it, which 
He's one of the few guys who can probably do that at his size with his athleticism. And Giannis, after stepping up to discourage the drive and cut off Booker, was able to take one step, spin around, recover, and block the oop from Ayton. That obviously doesn't sound nearly as good from me on this podcast as it looked in person. But if you search it up on any social media uh, app, you will find it immediately. It is everywhere today. It was good. Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Here's the thing. We were talking about this in a group text this morning. If Aiden catches that lob, it's an unbelievable play too. Like people aren't realizing how just, uh, I mean, that was a tough ball to get to in general. Yes. It was amazing. It was an amazing block, but it also would have been an unbelievable uh, alley-oop dunk to keep the game going as it turned out it kind of sealed the win for the bucks there so it did it was a pretty cool play and a pivotal moment kind of reminiscent of that lebron chase down block uh, against the warriors when the Cavs won it all yeah still that's still one of the greatest play that that and the tayshawn prince when uh with the pistons the one year where he did something similar or two of the best i've ever seen yeah uh, anything else on the finals here before we get into a no? I'm, I'm I'm still sticking with the Suns to win it. I still think that they're not losing at home, and I don't think Milwaukee is either. I just I think there's I think you're 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 in six as a chance because I think if Phoenix wins Game Five, they showed they can play toe to toe with them for three and a half quarters. Well, not even three and a half quarters for 47 minutes for goodness sakes, with their best player being a dog down the stretch. Yeah, I think I saw that the Bucks were a. Uh, we're only covering that game for a total of like 14 seconds or something. And they end up covering it to win it. At the, win the yeah, bet. Right. So if you're a bucks better, you cash your ticket, but you were sweating or probably more accurately cussing and throwing things for the entire night. Aside from those 13 seconds. No question. So, all right, a quick ask any, anything round here. Uh, we will start off with a sports question. And since we're on the topic of the NBA, I'll go here quick. I don't know if you have enough uh, institutional knowledge of the 2018 NBA draft to answer this, but I do have it pulled up, so I I can kind of help out here. All right. Uh, Brian says, if you redid the 2018 NBA draft, how would you rank the top five now? Uh, Okay to consider what teams needed at the time. Would Trey Young still go at five? Luka at three, Aiton at one. Bagley or Jaron Jackson, are they busts? Would Shea Gilgis Alexander be top five so if you look at this this draft and it was i mean it's been a damn good draft yes it has turned out um you it went deandre ayton marvin bagley luka Doncic, jaron jackson trey young then that those were the top five then you get into mo bamba wendell carter colin sexton kevin knox mikhail bridges the top kevin knox Ooh. Yeah, Shea Gilgis Alexander was just outside that at eleven. Well, the thing with Shea Gilgis Alexander was, I, did anybody think he was going to become an NBA point guard? I think there were questions about that and if he could shoot right consistently, he's shooting thirty-seven percent from three. So yeah, no, he's been great. I, I don't think I don't think I ever thought he was going to turn out to be this kind of a player. Uh, there were questions for certainly. I mean, his his physical attributes were off the charts. Uh, but there were some questions about his feel, his, his shooting, a lot of that stuff. And he has turned out to be a fantastic NBA yeah. player. Uh, a few other names in the draft that have, have kind of turned out well. Michael Porter Jr. went 14. Dante DiVincenzo went 17. Um, Kevin Horter for the, the Hawks went 19 in this draft. So those are some of the bigger names here that, that yeah, turned I mean, out I, well. If you were going back to the top five, I mean, if you're if you're doing it in retrospect today, I mean, Luca's one, Trey Young's two, right? I don't know if I feel that way. Luca is definitely number one for me. I think I might be on De- DeAndre Ayton still at number two. 
Okay. I think, I mean, he's just scratching the surface, but he's really turning into that. There aren't a lot of guys like DeAndre Ayton at seven no, agree. foot that can agree. actually guard someone like Giannis and be a relevant back to the basket, true post big man in today's era. And he can do that and he can be effective. I think he still has a lot of upside. I think I would take him two and Trey Young three here. And then it gets really interesting after that. Yeah. I, I guess if I'm taking a guy that high, I need him to be a 25 and 15 guy. And DeAndre Ayton's never going to be that. But you're right. I mean, he's been very effective. I mean, it's but can he not be it, a 20 uh, and 15 guy? A 20 yeah, and 15 is pretty good at center. And I would say this. I mean, Devin Booker's development has certainly helped. I don't think I ever saw Devin Booker becoming an NBA star. I thought he'd be a really good NBA player, but he's become a legit star. And then you had the piece in Chris Paul, and you've got nice pieces around it. Um yeah, Luke is clearly one to me. I guess we're splitting hairs on what you would have needed. And I guess Phoenix That's in theory probably point. still need they Phoenix probably needed a point guard as much as they needed DeAndre Ayton at that point, but it's worked out well for them. Um yeah, I think we're splitting hairs there. I think it's I guess it's much more need related than anything else. I'd be fat. Luca clearly isn't a need. Luca is clearly number you know, the one best no matter what. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. I mean, he's generational. He's gonna be an all-time great. Very yeah. clear. I mean, he already is uh, as good as it gets in the league right now. I mean, I would take him, like I said, top five in the league currently. It's a fascinating thing to think about. Would the Suns be better off had they taken Trey Young and Trey Young was running the point guard? They don't have Chris Paul. They don't have DeAndre Ayton. Right. No, would I, they I be in the same spot. Would they be better right. off? No. I don't know. I don't think they would be. That's the funny part to Cause, it. Cause can, cause him and Devin Booker coexist. I don't know that that right. really works. No, I, that's a legitimate point. I mean, he's a very ball dominant point guard and that's okay, but yeah, I don't know if that would work together. Yeah. After those, top three though i tell you what it gets really difficult for me to decide between jay gilgis alexander colin sexton and jaron jackson jr i know jaron jackson jr hasn't quite put up the numbers yet of those other guys but man defensively what you get with him it intrigues the hell out because he could again he could be kind of a unicorn guy in the sense that he gives you this six nine presence who can score on offense stretch the floor a little bit but defensively he can lock down almost any spot i love colin sexton you just don't see you never see him yeah it sucks that he plays for a trash team but he's he's putting up numbers uh i don't know you know some of those may be a little bit empty numbers we don't like you said you don't get to see him enough uh but he'd be in the conversation i think for a top five pick yeah i i loved him in college and um you know, he got the funny part was he got off to kind of a rocky start his rookie year, if I remember rightly, and then just turned it on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was he was another one where a lot of people were talking about, you know, too old. He stayed four year college guy. How good is he actually? That type of thing. Um, and worried that he was just all athleticism, but he's turned out to be a really nice NBA player. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's a, it's a great question. Yeah. That was a good one. That one coming from Brian on Twitter. Um, we got Vince says, what are the best adjectives for describing a basketball player? <laughs> I mean, do we, do we need to do diaper dandies and dipsy do dunkaroos and, and those kind of things? He um, dropped smooth, silky, slick, etc. I'll well, tell you right now, for me, it's very simple. It is all the euphemisms we use for white. Well, right. No son of a coach. Yeah. Great shooter. Blue, blue um, collar, knows, great, great IQ knows the game. Deceptively athletic deceptively athletic. Those, yeah. All, all of those kind of things. Yeah. Coach and then on usually, the floor. 
Yeah, then the black guy is usually what a great athlete, great hops. You know, you, you never you never use the other bouncy. Song. Yeah. Long. I think it's very, I think they're all very stereotypical. There's no question about that. Yeah, it's my my favorite sort of uh, how race plays a role in recruiting right now is every white guy is a shooter, and it has created this interesting value prop. I think on the white guys who are athletic because, <laughs> because some of them get over recruited because people think they are shooters when they Zach are Levine, not Zach, Zach Levine. <laughs> and then on the flip side, wait, what, what is Zach Levine white? I thought he was, <laughs> I think he is. I just looked up Zach Levine race. It looks like we're not the first people to question this. <laughs> I thought he was, he's mixed. Okay, well, so that, there you go. That takes away the great stereotype right there. His father is black and his mother is white. Okay, okay. all right, all right. Okay. I did not know that. I did not know that. So I, I was going to say, I was like, Zach Levine, I'm pretty sure is not your average white guy, I, I feel for sure. So, uh, but yeah, the whole, the whole uh, racism in scouting thing is definitely playing a role because I think there are these white guys who are athletes that get, credit for being shooters when they're not good enough. And there's also guys that are like pigeonholed as he's just a shooter when in reality they are an all-around player. And I right. think you're seeing so like Kevin Herter is a good example of, of someone like that. He was an athletic. So it, it is kind of funny how that all works. But yeah, I would no, say the no white question. euphemisms are my favorite way to describe basketball yeah. players. Usually son of a coach, high IQ, can shoot the ball. That's right. Uh, Jim Rat. Jim Rat. <laughs> Andrew says the funniest athlete you've ever covered, both in terms of sense of humor and funny as in they're out there or silly and make you laugh. Man, that's a good one. I've got one that comes to mind immediately. It's Jalen Reynolds for Xavier. Okay. He was just, I, I spent probably 50% of my time at practices either shaking my head in awe of something he did with like a tip dunk because he was the greatest practice player you've ever seen or just laughing the other 50% of the time because he was just so off the charts, ridiculous and out there. Yeah. I, I, there's nobody that comes to mind to me, to be honest with you. So I think, I, so I think most of those guys aren't, aren't very funny. They're really not. Well, the basically when we talk to these guys at this point in terms of locker room scrums or post-game press conference or anything like that, it's all very canned the yes. the questions all sound the same to them they're all answering the same way that they've heard someone else answer the question just to get it over with there's not a lot of personality shown these days in interactions with the media yeah cj uzama probably comes the closest i, I mean he, he actually has a pretty good sense of humor and he you can converse to him like you're talking just to anybody you know they're, 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 a lot of it is it's very staged right and you're laughing at, mm -hmm. it, it, you're laughing sometimes because they think they're funny and they're really not but you're trying to you know kind They'd of be nice yeah. be in the moment yeah I, yeah there's there's not a lot to that where would pac-man rank i, I mean i know he was a little well, crazy at times but the whole yeah, garbage that, that rant was, to you guys that, that, that was yeah he was crazy funny yeah he was also crazy yeah legit crazy I, I mean, I still my favorite one of all time with him was I wasn't even talking to him. It was a Sunday night. They lost in New England. And uh, it was a, it was the year that the Bengals actually the, the year Andy Dalton got hurt where they were really good. But they got off to like a three and oh start, went to New England to play a Sunday night game. And it was the whole can you win games in prime? It was the whole narrative of the whole week. Can't win in prime time. Prime time. Andy's going to show up all those things. And they go up and get boat raced. So I walk up to Reggie Nelson, who's the you got your go to guys after a loss. Right. They're just going to be pros always. And I said, sure. 
I said, Reggie, I, you know, this was talked about all week, you know, losing in prime time. Does it mean more? I mean, I wasn't even talking to him. He goes, hell yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't help but laugh. And Reggie couldn't help but, but crack a smile because it just it was just it was so genuine. That it, but it was genuinely funny, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I, he's up there, but he was just he was crazy funny. Well, so a tie in between Pac-Man and Jalen Reynolds was a uh, crosstown shootout. It was, I think this was the D Davis game that I'm thinking of, or maybe not. Cause he might not have been on that. Anyway, crosstown shootout at UC and Jalen Reynolds had, I think gotten a technical or he'd gotten tangled up with one of UC's big men. So he, they had to take him out of the game, tell him to cool off a little bit. And there's a point where, and I, I saw this, the interaction happen. Pac-Man Jones was essentially, he had been sitting behind Xavier's well, that's bench. Right. I he was wearing this. Xavier's stuff the whole year because he had been working out with those guys and sitting courtside at games. So he was kind of like a Xavier fan for a year or two. And he is now all of a sudden during the Crosstown shootout up on Xavier's bench or like kind of in between the chairs. He's got his arm around jail and he's talking to him. And, I don't I cannot verify if this is true or not. This is the story I was told was that someone, one of the members of the staff turned to Chris Mack and said, hey, do you want us to like tell him to to get out of here, or scoot back or whatever? And Chris said, no, those two speak the same language. Maybe you can help him. <laughs> pretty good. It's a pretty good line. So uh, the, both of them a little bit crazy, uh, a little bit nuts. But uh, in, in the heat of the moment, I, I think they Chris was right. They were able to get through to each other and it worked out well because Xavier ended up winning that game. I, I will say Pac-Man's garbage man, garbage can rant about the Terrell Pryor is still one of the all time funniest things. That was great. I mean, that was I, I enjoyed Pac-Man. Also, I think you were doing other stuff at the newspaper at this time, but Chad was legitimately funny, too, for an athlete. Yeah, I did not cover Chad. It, it's funny. So I, I, did, I was not in locker rooms with, with, with Chad. So I, I, I've, I've heard that. I just never really was around it. Uh, our girl, Lindsay Patterson, wants to know what your favorite cobbler is and also cake or pie. Um, well, for birthday, I always do a, I do a, a yellow cake with chocolate icing. That's kind of the standard for me. But I, I, do like, I do like a good key lime pie. And I like lemon pie. I like lemon meringue pie. Uh, are, is uh, is the cobbler a thing? Is that something well, you say or what? Well, she, no, no, I will cobbler, say. That, I feel like that's an inside joke. It is a little bit because the, the the Bengals on Sundays when they serve the meal, they always have have cobbler up there, and it's usually pretty darn good. The they're um, a cobbler guy, yeah, they're, they're cobbler. If I had to take a, a filling, it would probably be apple over peach. But my mother made a good peach cobbler too, though, so yeah, that's a, that's a close one for me. All right, and uh, finally, we'll wrap it up with best wedding reception dance songs, giving Rick some ideas here. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you you got to do the, the, the cha-cha slide because you get everybody. You get the kids involved. The older generation gets involved. I cannot believe you just said that, and that is a 100% emphatic no. In fact, my Dude, main you, rule you for get, the DJ get, is get, zero get, line dances. The booty get everybody call just involved. does not stop. It takes so damn long. Same thing with the cha-cha slide. I don't want a single line dance. It, it kills dancing at weddings. No, it gets literally everybody involved. No, it' not true. All the it, it gets all the like ants that you don't really want out on the dance floor. Who didn't really want to invite and in the first place. It gets them out on the dance floor. We're not inviting kids, so I'm not worried about that. I don't want any snot-nosed uh, brats out there dancing. I want extreme twerking at all times. That's the only acceptable oh, for heaven's form sakes. of dance. Do Do you have a, a a DJ in mind yet? So. 
we do, but okay. trying to get a DJ in this, I don't know if you saw it on channel 12 this morning, but we did Brad Underwood did a package on how the wedding boom that's going on right now. And it's like, they're, they're having three wedding seasons this year, all at once. Wow. Everything is booked out to like 2023. So yeah, my, my, my daughter got extraordinarily lucky because she had hers in October and it was kind of in between COVID waves, if you will. And it worked out, it couldn't have worked out more perfectly. Yeah. So I say we have someone in mind. We have reached out. We are waiting to hear back. There's a very good chance we're going to be told, hey, it, I, I'm booked. So we'll see. Well, Rick, hopefully I get an invite and then I can walk up to the DJ and say, hey, play the cha-cha slide just, just for me. Yeah. So you will be invited. Uh, we're figuring out your table. We're making sure to sit you with all of the. Uh, yeah. The the, 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 the the Hey, we need to put the this party with that party because they don't know that party. Let's put that party with that party because nobody knows. Put them at the t- in fact, put them way in the back. Put them by the kitchen. Put I'm putting put the you kitchen. I'm putting you with all the uh, degenerates and um, the smoking table and whatever else. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I the, I like that will be the one rule for the DJ is look. No line dances. You can take about, requests, what, what, but zero line dances. What about a little Cotton Eye Joe? No, absolutely not. No uh, YMCA, even though it's not really a line dance. No, uh, nothing. It, it, nothing. It's that, a like, standard. It's a staple. Yeah. No, none of that. We're not doing it. Do you have any good actual uh, dance songs, or is are we going to leave it with the Cha Cha Slide, which will no, not but happen? My, my oldest daughter, um, when we did our dance together, we did, she, she was her pick. Obviously I did not know she was going to do this, but this was kind of like a staple of father daughter dances that she and I went to. We, we did the butterfly kisses song, oh, which is yeah. a good father daughter. Yeah. It's a good father daughter song. Um, I feel like that's one where, uh, the the dads like will tear up though did you, were you yeah, able to yeah. keep it together no I, I did because she she as soon as it started she just she she looked at me and i smiled and i said i said holy cow this takes me back to you're like six and seven years old she goes exactly and i thought all right perfect you did you did good with that one i was good with that yeah. my oldest daughter my youngest daughter though says when she gets married she wants our dance to be and i don't know why because i used to have this mixtape that had all kinds of crazy goofy rap stuff on it back in the day that somebody made for me and she loved funk soul brother so she wants that to be our dance I mean, that'll be an interesting, yeah, that'll be yes, an interesting father daughter dance routine, right? Yep. There. Yep. I actually, because think, she can dance, she's a professional and I'm very much non-dancer. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. That'll, that'll go really well. Uh, make yeah. sure that is filmed. Yeah, for and sure. Released on social media. So it'll be a while. I think <laughs> we, we've got some time on that one. You can <laughs> prepare a routine. Yeah. I got a little time on that one. Uh, good deal. Yeah. I think our, uh, not the dance with my mom, but our first song is going to be little acoustic version of Ring of Fire. Oh, female that's acoustic okay. version. All right. Okay. Big Johnny like Cash that. fan. And I don't like many other like slow songs. I hate country for the most part if it's not Johnny Cash. So well, I can argue which one of you stepping into the Ring of Fire, you or her? Uh, well, it depends on the day. What, <laughs> what the proverbial Ring of Fire is in this that's, case. So. That's a good point. That's a good call. Yeah. Oh, one other uh, wedding related thing that I do think I might have gotten confirmation on is I'm pretty sure I convinced her to have a pop a shot during the cocktail hour. Oh, wow. Good move or terrible move? No, I think it's a great move. Okay, me too. Wow. I like that idea. I've had some opinions who think I'm very dumb for doing that, but I think it's going to be fun. No, I I, I like that idea. It's because it's different. Yeah. Most most every wedding reception for the most part is the same. Most. I totally agree. You always remember the things that are uh, unique. Yeah. But 
You know, our okay. family's a little more traditional, but I, my thing was it's fine. It's out there for the cocktail hour and then they can, it folds up. You can put it away the rest of the time. It's not going to be, yeah. a, people aren't going to be not dancing because of it. We'll put it away. The last wedding I went to was a friend, my sorority sister, friend of my wife's um, from back in the day, her son got married and it was down in Louisville. I, I did, they, they did like a pre-wedding cocktail hour. Like they open, they did open bar before you even sat down for the wedding itself. That was Ooh, pretty good. That's a good move. That was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. That's a really good move. <laughs> the best might... part was I'm, I'm, I'm watching some people sitting there at the wedding two fisted. I'm like, eh, I can't do that, but okay. I, I kind of like I'm that no move because that's the worst part. Now, granted, we are going to do like a very quick ceremony. Yeah. There's was pretty quick. There's was pretty quick as well. Yeah. But I, the way our place is set up our, our venue you go right past the bar and the cocktail area to get into the reception or the ceremony area. So I think we might be able to work that out. Maybe yeah, add a little extra to, hour on the bartender. I, I may have to yeah, I may have to be sitting there with a cocktail in my hand while you're getting, while you're you doing double your fest at my wedding. We won't judge it. It's a good point. Good all right. All right. Good stuff. Rick, appreciate it much. We'll be back. Yep. We'll be back next week for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been a skinny podcast, the weekly Pope edition.